welcome to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode 341. I'm your host, Mike Gutterman, coming to you from the Gutterman Cave here in Louisville, Kentucky. And this is a listener interaction episode, a solo show, I guess you should say. And so let's just get into some of this listener interaction. And we're going to start with uh, emails. I uh, got one from uh, Kenny Tuomi, Mr. Ken Tuomi. And uh, he actually sends a uh, thing uh, about the press pan. It says, Jess Hobbs YouTube on the press pan rocks. It's super tight and well filmed. Ken Tuomi. Well, thank you, Ken. Ken actually sent me that email before the episode, uh, the roundtable with Jess Hobbs and Joey Reedy uh, aired last week. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. And Ken, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Um, and there's a little compliment to Jess Hobbs' YouTube channel about her and her her her, her, her uh, episode on the press pan before that episode even came out. So that's a that's a genuine compliment there. So uh, uh, to, for, uh, a compliment for Jess. So uh, <laughs> thank you, Ken, for the email. And also, I have another email from. Kevin Johnson, and uh, he says, "Love that podcast." And uh, comes out says, uh, "Mike, and who or Mike or whomever reads this mail, I just found your podcast and have started listening to the latest couple episodes. I especially like the reference to blue collar and rednecks. <laughs> I, I own the Iron Studio. Nothing to do with photography, but definitely blue collar and leaning redneck. We are we are a fully operational black blacksmith shop." making architectural uh, architectural elements for the high-end market. You may check out our website at uh, www.theironstudio.com, ironstudio.com. Uh, if you're ever in the Knoxville area, if you're Knoxville, Tennessee, I invite you to call us and come by to photograph. I would be interested in what fresh eyes in our dirty shop could see and capture on film. And then he gives me his phone number there. Uh, so thank you, Kevin Johnson, for uh, first of all for checking out the podcast and for the the nice email. And definitely, if I am ever in Knoxville, I'm gonna have to hit you up, uh, see a little blacksmith shop in operation, and and do a little film photography. That sounds like uh, one hell of a good day. So uh, if I'm ever in Knoxville, I'm gonna hit you up, Kevin. And thank you so much for the the, the nice note and for hey checking us out. And uh, glad glad you're enjoying uh, uh, you know a real a real working working man's uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> So there you go. Uh, all right. And uh, what else have we got here? We got, um, I want to do a couple shout outs here. Uh, the first one is to Alex Morrison. And uh, he's on Instagram at, at AlexMorrison35. And uh, he was just on an episode of Sunny 16 Presents, kind of the, uh, the side show to uh, Sunny, uh, the Sunny 16 podcast we all know and love. Well, they have their separate feed, Sunny 16 Presents. And uh, in episode 14, On Location, Mr. Alex Morrison was uh, was the uh, was the, kind of took over the show, and he was doing a kind of a report on the Stearman Press Ultra Four Large Format Developer. So check out uh, 7016 Presents Episode 14 on location with Mr. Alex Morrison. He did a fine job, and I just had to give him a little shout out because he did use some of uh, some of my original music for background music for productions that I have on my Bandcamp uh, 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 site. So. Um, he used some of my music, and that was a real thrill to hear it on, on an episode of Sunny 16 Presents. And, uh, hey, guys, if you guys need any music for any of your productions, podcasts, or YouTube, don't forget to check out my free <laughs> background music. It's available on www.mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. Uh, thank you, Alex, for using my music. That was a real thrill, man, and a great job on Sunny 16 Presents. Uh, and, hey, folks, check that check that episode out. Okay, and then what else do we have here? Um, got some things in the mail. Uh, first thing is from uh, Jacob Erickson, and uh, he's been on the uh, on the show before, and he sent me uh, four little four by six prints here, 
Uh, three of them over a beautiful Ford F100 pickup truck, a vintage F100 pickup truck. So you know I like that. Quality's job one at Ford Motor Company, folks. You all should know that. And uh, so uh, I certainly wasn't at Ford long, haven't been at Ford long enough to have built this truck, but uh, I wish I would have because this is a really cool truck. And uh, I'd like to have one of those one of these days, one of these vintage old Ford pickups. Just a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, machine here. And then also like another... Uh, Looks like a sort of a, a monument or something. Uh, it's on a like an engraving on a on a uh, on like a on some rock, some like a rock. <laughs> it says uh, John Erickson, and uh, I don't know exactly what this re uh, reads, but maybe America Fronder, uh, 1876.4.7. <laughs> no idea exactly what that means, but it's a cool photo nonetheless. Maybe there's a family connection here to Mr. Eric Jacob, uh, uh, Jacob Erickson. Why do I keep saying Eric Jacobs? Jer <laughs> Jacob Erickson. And uh, uh, thank you, uh, uh, Jacob, so much for uh, for the uh, for these uh, really cool prints. But that's not all he sent, folks. He sent me a little uh, cassette tape, a cassette analog music album. How analog is a cassette tape, right? And uh, this is for a band, and uh, <laughs> the band's name is Gutter Boy. <laughs> Uh, maybe uh, I'm sure he sent this as a little reference to my last name. <laughs> I I've actually heard of this band before. I've never listened to this band, so I have no idea what they sound like. So I'm going to have to check out this Gutter Boy cassette and uh, see if it's something I dig. I actually have a cassette player here in the Gutter Man Cave, and so I'll, maybe I'll have to uh, hook that thing back up. It's just been it's been unhooked for a while, and I uh, give this Gutter Boy cassette tape a little spin here. So uh, <laughs> thank you, Jacob Erickson, uh, so much for the the kind uh, uh, gifts in the mail there, and. Uh, also, I got a. I talked about this. Uh, actually, I talked about both these things: uh, the the cassette and the prints from Jacob, and uh, this from Mark Bodie on my facecast, my weekend facecast I did on the Facebook group uh, a couple nights ago. So you can check that out if you want to see this stuff uh, in in visual form. Uh, but Mark Bodie sends me an awesome scene, and it's called uh, Southport Pier. Uh, in there is a, a letter. He says, uh, "Hi, Mike." As we discussed on Instagram, here is a copy of my first photo zine. I'm pretty pleased with it, even though the quality of the photographs is a little below par for me. However, in my defense, the pictures are from the test rows shot while learning the whole art of shooting and home developing film. It certainly has helped get me through the shit show that has been 2020. <laughs> ah, boy, don't we all agree with that sentiment? Uh, so while I'm an old dog at photography, I'm very new to using film, home developing, darkroom printing, and now zines. For me, there is something about the whole analog thing that lends itself to publishing zines, the hand, hands-on nature of it. Having full creative control from choosing the film to making the zine is very appealing. I now have a million and one ideas for zines. Quick question before I let you go. Have you ever published a zine? Mark from Chili Blighty. Well, Mark, I have uh, uh, done a zine. It was called Plastic Beach. It was all Hoga, sh <laughs> Hoga shots. I'm sorry, my the Greta the Gutterman Cave mascot is meowing in the background. I think she wants out. But uh, but anyway, uh, uh, he, uh, yeah, it was uh, Hoga shots, uh, beach shots, and uh, uh, from a trip to Florida one year. And uh, I did a little handmade sort of zine, uh, kind of printed on my home inkjet HP printer. Uh, you know, it is the hottest trend in uh, home inkjet printing. The HP Instant Ink program is taking over the world by storm. And uh, yeah, I did, it, so I've, I have done a zine. It was pretty, pretty generic and lo-fi. And uh, 
So, uh, yeah, and it was uh, it was fun, but I'd like to do one a little more professional, <laughs> I think, next time. So, uh, But he also sends, uh, along with this letter uh, and the zine, it's, uh, look, three little Analog Wonderland stickers. You guys know I'm a stickler for stickers, and uh, so those will be going on the, uh, the Epson V800 here that has a nice collection of stickers on it. Maybe one will make the Gutterman Cave beer fridge. So uh, but let's talk about the zine, Southport Pier by uh, Mark Boding. Uh, here's a little slip of paper inside the zine about it. It says... Uh, Opened in 1860, Southport Pier is the longest in England and the second longest in the UK. In the 1990s, the pier fell into disrepair and faced demolition, but was saved by a single vote. Reopened to the public in 2002, it has become a popular attraction with people seeking to take in the sea air. The cafe at the end has a small arcade that features some old penny slot machines. If you don't fancy the long walk, you can take the Promenade Express tram that runs throughout the summer season. Oh, very very cool to get a little background on that and let's look let's talk about the zine uh it's really beautiful it's uh it's basically all shots uh, on this south this aforementioned southport pier and uh, uh what i like about it is you know it's it's a one subject that i mean the so the you know the zine has a constant theme throughout the this, this whole thing it's a simple subject and he's uh shown like you know shots of the host structure uh you know shots of uh detail shots and and uh, you really feel like you've, you've spent the day on this pier after um you know after looking through the zine because he really did a good job of capturing like both wide shots even some people walking on the pier and uh, some detail shots and even some of the oddities uh, uh on this pier uh, and some of my favorite shots of the zine is some of these penny slot machines that he was talking about there's a palm reader <laughs> machine and uh, there's one i really like is a, a arm wrestling machine and uh it says uh, arm wrestling let's try and there's like this, this arm comes out and i guess you're supposed to arm wrestle this machine so <laughs> but i love stuff like that like these old vintage uh, kind of uh, looking uh, coin machines and um uh yeah i actually had a, a photograph i took once of a of a love tester that was in a bar a local bar here in louisville and uh you know you were supposed to put your money in there and and i think you had to do something grip something or something and it would tell you how good of a lover you are and uh, <laughs> and i took a photo of that I did not actually put money in it to see how good of a lover I was, but uh, I do love the fact that uh, that photograph sold quite well at art shows, so I did, did quite well with that, and uh, so I'm, I'm a, kind of a sucker for those type of uh, things. And hey, also, as I've used this joke before on the podcast, uh, it appears I like peer photos. So, uh, let's see. See what I did there? And uh, <laughs> Because, I mean, there's something about peers, right? Like, you can't help as a photographer to take them. There's so many lines you can work with and stuff. Uh, and uh, But I think, uh, you know, I think... Uh, I think Mark Bodie does a good job at uh, uh, kind of, you know, uh, maybe not taking just the stereotypical shots of a pier. He really uh, does a nice job at uh, this. And, and, and one thing I liked about uh, looking at the zine is just the idea of a single, simple concept. Like, I'm going to make a zine out of uh, shots on a day on this pier. And uh, just, it's a simple, concise subject that keeps you focused. Uh, uh, both as a you know as someone that's looking at the scene, and both like just actually putting trying to put the scene together. I imagine as the photographer, you know you have a, a one subject to kind of focus on, and you can really kind of um, you know dive into uh, showing what you want to show out of that subject. I think there's there's a, that's just a, an, an interesting way to. Cause I, I have a hard time like coming up with projects, and uh, sometimes a simple project like this. Um, is really it helps keep you uh, you know keeps you concise and and uh, uh, maybe a- more able to complete the project, which is something I'm I, ha- I always struggle with. So, uh, great job, Mark Bodie, and thank you so much for the zine, the stickers, and the nice note. Uh, 
you can see his photography on markbody.com. That is M-A-R-K-B-O-A-D-E-Y.com. Markbody.com. M-A-R-K-B-O-A-D-E-Y.com. Check him out and uh, see if you can uh, take a look at the zine. Watch my face cast on the Facebook group and see how awesome it is. And maybe get a hold of Mark and see if you can't get a copy of it yourself. Uh, so uh, very, very cool. Thank you so much, Mark, for a really, really excellent zine. And uh, and the stickers, too. You know, I'm a stickler for stickers. Let's see here. What else, what else do I have? Um, I think that's uh, pretty much it for this segment. Um, so I think we're going to get to... We're going to take us a little break. And then after this break, we're going to have part two of my discussion, my solo show interview with uh, uh, Alex Purcell from the Soot and Whitewash podcast. And, uh, you know, I, I played part one in the, the last solo show, and we're going to uh, finish up this conversation with Alex in this next segment. Alex Purcell, part two, right after this break. So we'll take a break and be right back, folks. should be like uh, it should be mandatory i mean no pin tax <laughs> i've got i've got one lens which i was <laughs> I rescued from a flood uh, under okay. one of the boilers i was working on <laughs> uh, but it, it came out it was perfect the case was all wet but uh it's a, a one three five tacoma mm-hmm. something or other 3.5 mm-hmm. i think it is uh and it's an m42 so i've got that on my um occasionally on my zenit em okay um, so a bit of a step down there, I suppose. <laughs> well, it, it, but I feel like I, I was on Classic Lenses podcast. I feel like wasn't it, I think they might have said I think it might have been Simon that said that like in in Europe Zenit was more the more the the working man's camera. I think it might have been. I can yeah. think it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. I, it kind I guess of, they were everywhere, sh- right? Yeah. They were pretty common. I, them and um, Pratica as well. I think okay. were yeah. very affordable. Probably mm-hmm. practically a bit better quality than the the Zenit, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think the, the Zenits are weird because uh, there was a big importer in London. Um, I think they were called something like London. Uh, was it something? I think Scientific was in the name and, and Optic, but they were just this importer of Zenits, and they take them apart and calibrate them and grease them, and basically check every single camera. Um, yeah that they sold and mm-hmm. if you got one with their sticker on it it was very likely to never give you any trouble and and then, wow. you know, some of them you know because you could buy them new and they wouldn't work uh but mine's one of those oh, okay. and, and it is absolutely a mac it's 1978 and it's just just immaculate is the, the previous owner was somebody um who i worked with it was her dad uh he had it from you and just looked after it and uh it's it's just stunning. It's never torn a film in half, which most of them do. <laughs> <laughs> you really um, that one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my Zorkies have done that as well. But no, this one is just perfect. It, well, it was, it's like a tank, so uh, it's quite a heavy thing to carry around and really ugly as well, but uh, but it works well. All right, all right. Uh, well, yeah. 
Well, we need to get you into a Pentax. I feel like you know every blue collar worker needs one, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get you into the one of those at some point. But uh, but, but. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I did have one briefly. Um, I, I ended up giving it to my brother because it my step brother because it was um, oh sorry, actually my half brother. It was his grandfather's, and it oh, came to wow. me first, and wow. when when he was a baby, really. Um, so I had it for a while, and it was really nice. The meter didn't work. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. That. that was a K something or other. Okay. K- KX, was it? Or something? I don't know. I'm not oh, sure. KX is a great camera, yeah. Might yeah. be the KX. Mm. If, yeah, I probably couldn't tell the difference between that and the K1000. I don't think it was that, yeah. just that yeah. kind of era. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was lovely. Just felt really nice to use. Yeah. But, yeah, he showed an interest. So I was like, well, you've you should really have this because uh, it's, you know, it was his grandfather's, not mine. So, right. Uh, right. All right. Well, I think, I, I think I've got my pen text talk out for this episode. So I think I can move on. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, everybody is the, so the OM really is the, the real camera system for the working man. Of course. What, what is it? The, the Olympus OM. Oh no, no, that's, no, no. that's, Olympus, like that's like uh, that's like that's like uh, cubicle workers, man. Like they they all use those Olympus, like uh, yeah, just people working in offices and air conditioning. That's that's Olympus. But uh, <laughs> but all right, now that I've alienated most of my listeners, uh, all right. Uh, so we didn't kind of one thing I kind of wanted to kind of start out with is like you've been kind of uh, doing some things recently. Uh, uh, kind of what you've been up to recently. And, you know, we've had a lot of talk here uh, lately and it seems to be kind of gaining ground and kind of the whole film community. But, but apparently like you got some, been doing some four by five and like mixing developers and like some contact printing. Like, uh, uh, so is this all new to you or is this stuff you've been doing for a while? Um, making developers new. Um, but I've, you know, I've made contact prints. Yeah. You know, once in a while, in you know over the last few years i i haven't got a permanent darkroom setup so i have to convert the utility room uh, which is always a bit of a challenge because it's yeah fella stuff um so yeah i haven't you know i haven't done a huge amount of darkroom work in general i do bits now and again but it's it's awkward until i get my cellar sorted out which i think i said this last year and the year before but by middle of next year i should have everything set up and sorted down there i've got a lot of building work to do um on the rest of the house once that is done then i can concentrate on the uh getting my dark room done but i wouldn't be very popular if that <laughs> if i did that first nothing else right. would happen so um yeah so yeah occasional contact prints uh, but i've been doing this week I w- i've been shooting paper negatives in a homemade pinhole camera and then trying to use the paper as a a, a negative um, which is a bit different to using film because obviously the exposure time because of the thickness of the paper then goes up um, a lot but I was kind of inspired by watching one of uh, do you know Brendan Barry the guy who does the giant pinhole shots in skyscrapers and he's a he's a British guy he's does this this quite a few videos on YouTube. I think he's been on the 2016 as well, um, okay. where he does these these absolutely massive. He, he kind of makes obscure kind of cameras, four by fives basically, but out of he's got one out of a, a mannequin's head, uh, which is kind of quite a cool looking thing. Where he's made cameras out of loaves of bread. He's kind of honest about it. He said it's just really a four by five camera with a lens and a, a holder on on the back, 
but it kind of gets attention and he does uh, workshops and things with uh, like community groups but quite often he'll he'll do like rent out a uh, or kind of blag uh, some empty space in a skyscraper and then using massive rolls of paper create a, a, just a massive print um, which I think he does with a um, uh, a lens but it's a what's it called uh it's one of those lenses that they'd use for copying like blueprints years ago oh, okay. or gi- giant bits of art, art so it's not specifically for it's yeah uh it, it gives you this sort of huge focal length so you can have like a massive bit of paper um if you try to do it with the normal lens you'd kind of end up being too close to the paper but anyway if you're shooting stuff outside you you kind of you can get it all in um but anyway it, when he does the contact print with the paper he just gets the group of kids or whatever that he's doing it with to get their, their phones out and use the torch and just kind of hold it over the paper for 30 seconds um and i've always got a little bit kind of um into a bit of a, a knot about times of that sort of thing and i thought well mm-hmm. if he's just doing it by guesswork and just saying well yeah about 30 seconds should do it um i thought well, I'll, I'll just try it and it worked mm. it looked really good so uh, wow. i think get, getting the uh, the paper negative i i watched a video a little while back where somebody was talking about developing the um the, the paper negative slightly differently so that you it works better as a negative mm. and this guy recommended using half the uh, the strength developer so the 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 blacks weren't too black it'll retain some of the detail in the highlights because mm. uh, um, if you just developed it normally it it would just be too contrasty to get anything out of and you'd basically just with end up with only blacks and whites pretty much okay um, i've heard doing, a lot of people struggling with like doing uh shooting paper like yeah so that actually kind of makes sense i, I see that yeah yeah you've got this quite gray looking Mm-hmm. paper negative and then from there then laying it down onto um I, i've got it like a big sponge and a sheet of perspex and then um i kind of weight that down onto the sponge so it, it presses up and makes a good kind of contact between the two then i just saw my torch from my phone at it for about 30 seconds but then then realized i needed more contrast so i just put the contrast filter over the phone torch and then just um yeah it came out really well the wow. i think it was the like, third attempt i was like wow brilliant looks awesome um, as far as uh as far as the making developers what, what are you doing there like i know i mean you know, i bought the stuff to make cap and all but that's as far as i went with it like <laughs> i know uh, uh matt uh, melcher from box of cameras is big on making his own developers like, yeah um yeah it always seemed to, it seemed a bit too kind of complicated and so I mean I thought oh, maybe one day I'll have a go at it but I, d- I didn't think I'd do it until mm-hmm. I listened to um, All Through a Lens podcast okay. uh, a few weeks ago and yeah. and they mentioned D23 which is like an old okay. Kodak mm-hmm. formula which has only got two two main ingredients in it. You can actually oh, wow. get a working developer with um, metal and sodium sulfite mm-hmm. uh, which um yeah, they're kind of cheap, and it's apparently it's just a, re- a really good developer. But there's once I kind of looked into it, um, I was more hooked because th- there's you can either use it as a, a one shot, or you can you know I don't maybe get so many developments out of a liter of it. Mm. 
but you can actually do what's called this kind of repl- replenishing method where okay. you, you create a liter of developer with, with these two ingredients and, and water and then you create an, another mix up another solution which is the replenisher which is basically the same as the developer but i think it's got one extra um ingredient in it um i'll find a link for you um mm-hmm. but the uh, but then what you do is just use this liter to, to develop and then before pouring it back into the bottle you just put 22 milliliters of the re- replenisher in um so you, you're only consuming 22 milliliters of this replenisher each time you use the developer oh, and wow. you just you keep the developer going indefinitely uh, some people say they'll use it for a year or a couple of years or whatever and then ditch it but really it just turns into this kind of soup of all the gunk that's come off all the fur. <laughs> right. it gets better with age. Um, ah. it, it actually improves it. And initially you don't get the full box speed out of the film, but the, whatever it is, the stuff that comes off the film actually helps it. And then you start to get better and better results as it gets older. Um, and oh, so apparently this is like, this is like, this is like the bourbon of film developer, just the, the more it's aged, the better it gets. <laughs> So that's kind of right in my alley. <laughs> um, oh, is it the Jepsen's Malort, is it? Oh, I <laughs> I'm pretty sure that stuff's aged only like three hours before they bottle that shit. But I'm like, <laughs> get it out quick. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's kind of, yeah, it's supposed to improve. It's apparently it's what a lot of the labs used to use because it uh, has a working temperature band of around room temperature. So I think it's between like 18 and 20 degrees, 22 degrees C. Mm-hmm. I think it's about 70. So it's, it's just, it works. You don't need to alter the temperature. You don't need to dilute it with anything. So you just get it out of the bottle, pour it into the, the developing tank, and then you know, put a little bit of a replenisher in there, but then just pour it back in. So there's, it saves a lot of time for me because I'm not worrying about temperature or diluting anything or kind of messing around. I just... And I don't care how much. I just pour the liter in. So if I'm doing four by five, I don't have to measure any quantities. Yeah, I can yeah. I can judge three hundred mil. Well, I just pour half of the bottle in. So I put to pour five hundred in. If I'm doing just thirty five, um, so it's just made it really simple. Yeah, um, and cheap, cheapest chips, I and, guess, right? Yeah, really, really cheap. Yeah, uh, but I think it cost me about. Uh, 30, 30 pounds, I think, to get set up. But mm-hmm. now on, going on from this now it's, it's going to be pretty cheap mm. uh, i think met- metal um is the more expensive ingredient but it's still it's not bad i think once you've got once you've got it going it, it doesn't actually take an awful lot to right. keep it going right. but yeah it, it's just i'm blown away by it and it, i'm getting far better results now with fomapan than i've ever had which i, mm. I, I struggled with that, that, one. I that struggled was, with, i've struggled with fomapan i gotta admit yeah yeah well i've I needed to use it because for four by five, I just mm-hmm. can't. Afford. I love Ilford films, but I, you know, I can't really. Uh, I can't shoot. I couldn't shoot as anywhere near as much as I do if I was just to use Ilford. So a yeah. four pan is kind of you know amazingly cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was critical. I needed to make it work. In in the past, I'd used Rotenol, uh, which I don't think works terribly well with thirty five mil foam pan. It tends to make it look a bit clumpy, mm-hmm. but for four by five. It's, it's been great. I, I always shoot it at half the box speed and then um, develop it for in 1 to 50 for seven, 7 minutes, 15 seconds. This is what I do mm-hmm. for the 400, shooting it mm-hmm. at 200. So 
I've kind of moved away from using the 100 because I was finding you just can't do a window light portrait because if you're shooting it at 50 and then, you know, the aperture is only like 5.6 at the widest on my uh, Fuji lens. Uh, it just, the, the times end up going too long for somebody mm-hmm. to not blur. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I was a bit worried, but yeah, tried tried the foam pan with it. I haven't done a huge amount of experimenting with it yet, but first impression is that it works better than what I'd been doing. Awesome. So, well, I'll tell you what yeah, we're going to need. A, a, as you perfect this process, we're going to need a, a little call-in developer review from you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Actually, well, I'm sure we'll just hear it on, we'll just hear it on Sit and Whitewash. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll do some for Sit and Whitewash, right? right? I've been kind of concentrating too much to be recording at the same time. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, once I know it works, and I was a little bit worried as well, because one of the ingredients isn't available in the UK, uh, but there's a kind of workaround where you can, you can buy the the kind of component parts of it separately okay. and it, that you, you can get hold of that still at, at the moment. Um, so, but I wasn't sure because there are so many substitutes there, uh, things like Borax, which is a very oh. common cleaning oh. product years ago. You can't, you can't buy it apparently, but then mo- most of what you see advertised now as Borax is actually a substitute substitute for it. Mm. So I wasn't 100 percent sure whether what I'd work, what I'd bought was the the right thing or not. So time will tell. If my developer just suddenly dies in, <laughs> then I, I know well, I'd be less than that, I suppose. Um, but I've shown what I'm doing to cleverer people than me, and they've sort of seemed to think that I've kind of got it right. <laughs> so, okay, all right. Well, that's that's, that's so, always always yeah. good. <laughs> a little a little yeah. affirmation, yeah. Yeah, well, there was there was a, a a good topic we talked about in the uh, in the pre-recording or whatever, and I definitely want to make some time for this. So uh, I'm going to move on to uh, uh, th- we talked about dyslexia and photographies uh, or f- f- photographies. That's not even a word. <laughs> Photographers, and it seems <laughs> to be a kind of I'm 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 finding that there is a lot of. Um, uh, dyslexic people, uh, people uh, struggle with dyslexia in photography, and uh, you, you apparently are one. I, I think uh, Simon Forster is, maybe even Neil Piper. I'm not not sure, but like there, there seems to be like this correlation there. Like, and yeah. so, what can, what can you tell me about that? Um, yeah, it's something that I'm kind of uh, quite interested in, being massively dyslexic, but having grown up not not really realizing it. Um, it's, it's when I went back to college when I was 23. Uh, when, 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 when did you figure out you were? Because is that something that comes early where you figure out like something's I'm having a hard time with this more than other people are? Or does it come early or does it how does it? It, it came well, it, very, very late, really. Um, okay. it, it's a, a largely um, kind of genetic things. So mm-hmm. all of my mum's side of the family, uh, we're all dyslexic. Mm-hmm. I, none of us are the same. We're like my. Um, uh, my brother Ed is really dyslexic as well, although he reads just effortlessly. He devours books, so really? he, he he has quite a different kind of problem with it. But he's got the same issues with uh, working memory organization and kind of the other kind of knock-on effects of it. But because mm-hmm. um, yeah, the definitions of dyslexia are really uh, it's it's not straightforward. I read some somewhere yesterday actually on some group group associated with dyslexia and it was this they put this definition up about it being this kind of difficulty in basically in reading 
oh. but reading the comments underneath it, it was initially I thought, yeah, that's kind of fair enough. And I thought, oh, hang on, no, it isn't. Uh, yeah, it, it's a struggle for me. It is um, a, a kind of it, it's a processing delay in symbols, whether that's musical notation, written words, or even like symbols as in like signs and th- things. Okay. It, okay. It, it, You've got this kind of uh, uh, what the, the, the wiring of the brain isn't kind of set out in quite the right way. It functions, but it's inefficient, so it just okay. bl- blocks what you're do- what you're doing. Uh, there's mm. a I, I don't really kind of understand. I don't know if many people do really. I mean, the the brain is so kind of difficult to study and kind of complex. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. it's doing. I don't think so we like, even. I don't even think we've even tapped into. Uh, a ten percent no. of what the human brain is all about, That's right. right? Yeah, we can't really see what it's doing. I mean, I know with kind of fMRI scanners and things now, they're starting to see more detail. But really, it's still just blobs of light on a screen. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to to get um, a kind of decent theory that fits the you know what they're seeing. Um, but anyway, and the fact that there's such a wide range of different kind of traits that dyslexia people have. Um, but yeah, you were asking about uh, whether it was early or not. It was because my family are, are all dyslexic. We we kind of knew that there was we had some issues like that, but but I don't think any of the dyslexic people in my family really knew themselves what was going on. What what dis, yeah what dyslexia yeah. was particularly because okay. because they're dyslexic, therefore they weren't likely to go out of their way to read a load of books on it. So then they're not going to become experts. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, personally, and I think it's the same for, for most people in the same boat, uh, you're finding ways around it since before you can remember. And mm-hmm. as, as a kid, you don't know you're any different or that everybody else isn't kind of doing the same thing. So um, uh, it, it hides itself because of mm-hmm. that, because uh, growing up, my mum is dyslexic, so we didn't really do stuff as a family that highlighted it as a problem. If I went to stay with some other family, perhaps for six weeks, they would have said, wait, wait a minute, you've got a major issue here. But it was, we just didn't kind of, it, you know, it was all kind of just normal. Right. And we just kind of muddled through and all our interests were more creative. And I think my mum kind of, I've talked to her about it since, but she, she said that she just kind of trusted the school to kind of get a lot of this stuff right and but not realizing that they were just not interested at all and actually they don't have a clue because right largely I, i'm going to generalize a little bit which obviously is wrong whenever you generalize about anything but i think there's some truth in it that teachers on the whole and other exceptions there are some great exceptions not many they tend not to understand and they don't have empathy because if they'd grown up with the same experience as me, they wouldn't have become teachers. Mm, it, mm. It's just a fact that the, 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 the few people who can understand don't put themselves, they're not going to be standing in front of a class of 30 reading out every day and uh, have, you know, just, you know, the, the experience of school is pretty kind of apart from, you know, okay, I did have quite a lot of fun as well. Which <laughs> right. Was, uh, counterproductive fun which was great but the school itself was just uh, just kind of a nightmare really so mm-hmm. yeah you wouldn't uh, i think anybody like me wouldn't wouldn't be in that position and able to say hey wait a minute i recognize what you're going through 
I think that would, you know, I wish that there were more and more um, people like that in schools to kind of spot people because it's so easy to spot dyslexia. It's mm. it's easy. Like if somebody is taking ten, if a kid is taking ten times longer to finish the work before they can go off and play, then they're not lazy, which is what they get called. Right, right. They're, they're having a harder time than anybody there. The easiest thing would be to do it and go off and have fun. They just have so a hard, harder that, time processing why, the information. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why? Uh, how that doesn't sort of pop up as a flag to the the supposed professionals around them to mm-hmm. say this kid's struggling, or if they're kicking off in class and getting kind of, you know, bullied for being crap at reading, and then you know. Um, then that should be an obvious sign to say, okay, yeah, you know, they're clearly, you shouldn't see somebody bright enough, but then they've got an unexpectedly crap ability in literacy for some reason. It's like, well, yeah, spot it, identify it. I, th- I think there's a kind of reluctance. I'm not really sure, but I, I'm guessing that um, kids don't get referred to specialists because the people who would do the referring kind of don't get it. And also p- perhaps think that well there's nothing you could do you can't fix it um but and they're right you can't fix it mm-hmm. but knowing what it is and knowing that you have these um particular set of challenges that if you're conscious of them you can work around them so much better and uh, not just feel crap at, for failing you can right. retain you know, maintain your self-esteem and confidence yeah because that, that's, that, that's that's a that's a pivotal age especially or, or like uh elementary through middle school that's really pivotal as far as like your uh your confidence and like yeah. uh and self-esteem and because it, it i mean i mean I, i'm not dyslexic but i was <laughs> i was like uh i was about the height that i am now uh, but I was like 130 pounds, so I was a walking skeleton. And like the amount of abuse I got about how skinny I was was yeah. uh, like, I mean, it like you know that's that's kids are not. Uh, there's no filter on kids at that age. They will tell you what they think about you, <laughs> and yeah, like it's it's a tough time. Like uh, unless unless like you're the unless everything is going, unless you're the perfect specimen, man, like, uh, uh, elementary through middle school can be a rough, rough time on your confidence. And, uh, uh, and so, yeah, I can imagine how, how troubling that would be to like, uh, you know, feel like it's not that you're not bright. You're just, you just have a, a situation that, you know, uh, that makes it seem like you're not bright. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that, that's yeah. right. That's the measure of, of intelligence for mm-hmm. a lot. It's a very simplistic, faulty measure of it right but, uh, but literacy is almost like uh, for some people they don't see through the fact that it's kind of um I, I it's different as well it's like i can you know as a kid if i picked up a book if i was forced to try and read something out in class it was i could read 10 times quicker quietly but it, it was the act of actually producing the speech wow. it was almost as though it was the same bit of brain that i needed to read that was the, that was doing the bit for speaking so they jam each other and i, mm. I could not get the words out mm-hmm. um whereas i knew i have no problem talking anybody's head off but uh, and i could you know i could read a lot better than it seemed but once i tried to do those two things together it was like no there's some sort of blockage here some the wire right. the wiring's not right yeah yeah yeah, yeah huh. absolutely which you know that's it's not it's not all bad that 
that that has other knock-on effects because you know dyslexics kind of famously uh um quite often will see things in a different way because they've they're that's just you know how their brain is wired they they might identify um opportunities or you know there's quite a lot of famous um scientists and uh musicians mm. and you know just really successful people in their whatever you know whatever right. field it doesn't so, need to be a barrier to succeeding which which brings um, me kind of to the point like um so what what why do you think they're attracted to creative outlets like photography uh like people that that struggle with dyslexia what uh, what is it about like cuz it's you know um this is this is kind of a new thing that I've kind of uh, kind of seen but like or or any yeah. creative outlet what 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 brings them to that point I think um I think it's the it was well, like it the, there are certain fields like photography or uh, certain careers that are going to have a far higher um, uh, number of dyslexics going into them just because certain doors are, aren't open or are diff- more difficult to open for dyslexic mm-hmm. people. So that's going to sort of push you in a certain direction. Um, where like when I went back to college to become a plumber was my original sort of trade, and I was I was twenty three mm-hmm. then. I'd gone through. Yeah, you know, I'd kind of grown up a little bit and realized, oh shit, I need to have some kind of uh, direction and a bit of a trade here. Mm-hmm. Um, and just realized, right, that very consciously thought that's something I can do. It's it plays to my strengths. Uh, there's it, yeah. You know, I'm not going to be in an office writing reports or whatever. There's just no mm-hmm. way I'd be a fish out of water. Um, but yeah, just avoiding my weaknesses and playing to my strengths that mm-hmm. you kind of naturally end up with. If if you've always <laughs> avoided you, the stuff you can't do, you end up putting more time into which you can, stuff yeah. Or, yeah. Mm. So um, and it, so with my career um, and similarly then with hobbies as well, it's uh, that that's just photography. The actual photography side of it um, uh, is it's just like freewheeling. For me, it's like when mm-hmm. quite quite a lot of things are, you know, a bit frustrating and difficult. Um, it's something that seems to just exist completely outside of dyslexia for me. Although it's it might be heightened slightly because of it. So I'm I'm kind of I get it's it's maybe slightly more rewarding because of what it's contrasted with. Um, so yeah, I think that that. That's kind of it. It's just, it just, it's nice to exist in that kind of headspace of stuff that is what you feel like is very natural to you and kind of easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's like that with music as well. So I've never learned to read music. I haven't. Uh, yeah, I yeah. just cannot get my head around it. But well, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't even have the excuse of dyslexia. I just, uh, it's just too, it's too much. I, I just I, let me just make some noise in my guitar. That's all I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that, that's yeah. Yeah, I just like to kind of improvise and kind of make, yeah. make stuff up and right. Uh, yeah, it, it's yeah, that's great. That's like uh, I just need to do that again. It's not for anybody else. I'm never gonna, you know, I've got no. Um, I'm not under any illusion that somebody's going to want to kind of listen to. Although I think you've got some things queued up to play. They've <laughs> that's right. That's on right. The, I'm going to punish some people with that. <laughs> but yeah, it's only intended for my own entertainment. It's just mm-hmm. what I like to do. Um, 
Yeah. Do, do you yeah. feel like uh, it's it's like if if you, if you had to like uh, come up with a a positive of suffering from dyslexia? Do you think the positive is it's made you a more creative person? Possibly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it must. It must do. Other otherwise, mm-hmm. I I wouldn't create the sort of I wouldn't have as much headspace for it. Um, so I think it's, um, yeah, definitely. I think it, it, it must be part of the kind of engine behind what keeps me, uh, wanting to create. I've always kind of created stuff for my own pleasure, right. just whether it was, you know, uh, as a kid drawing all, all, all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. then I got, kind of, as I said, got into photography a bit of that early state, early kind of periods where I was into film photography and as digital kind of crept in as I started to lose interest in it my enthusiasm started to go I got more and more into drawing and mm. that's when uh, wood carving as well came in and I ended up doing that for I made a living out of wood carving for four years and the, all of that the carving work was as a result of all the drawing so it was right that that was kind of the first stage of carving something is drawing it and, and coming up with the uh, the ideas and so that became like and you know i've been i'm kind of quite obsessive i suppose with uh with um the stuff that i get into you know so mm-hmm. i kind of get very very sort of focused on on one thing i do wonder like with uh with creative outlets uh, i've always said that like you know i'll play music till i die and it doesn't matter I, it's never been about making money I, I never cared whether i made a dime off of it i've never cared whether i made a dime off my photography but i have been somewhat successful at selling photography at some art shows and stuff but that's great but even if it didn't i'd still do it like i wonder yeah. like uh there's a but there I, I i was talking to this dude one time he was a musician he was in this band and he was like, uh, he worked. I worked with him. He was like, "Dude, if this band don't make it, I'm done." And I'm like, I, it was such a foreign concept to me. Like he was going to quit music if this band didn't blow up and make him a million dollars. And right. I was like, that's, I've, it's never ever been my mo. Like I, I, like I've never even thought about a band blowing up. I like it's just something I do and I enjoy. If if I make money, I'll have it great. But like. It, it was never about the money like and but this guy was like literally going to sell his all of his equipment if this, this this was his last this was his his last stand and if if, if this band didn't make it he was going to be out of music and that's just that's a foreign concept to me i i i, I can't give up a passion like that and I, and it yeah. made me question whether how, how like you know how you know how much do you actually love this like you know maybe you're not the guy that should get a million dollars from playing music because you know you it's don't deserve it <laughs> you don't deserve yeah. it like you just you know and uh, because there's somebody that's way more passionate than you that's never going to give up and like that's the guy that needs it right and oh uh, you mean yeah. you <laughs> you should have a million dollars <laughs> That's what this is about. <laughs> right. It's, it's, a, little, it's a, little P, a little PSA, a little public service announcement. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I've never understood that. Like um, uh, anytime you have a passion, like uh, if you're not, if you're doing it for the money, uh, man, like uh, I, I, I just, I, I, to me, it's probably not, you're probably not as passionate about it as you think you are. You know what I'm saying? Cause yeah. You, you have to be uh, like be willing to do it for free or lose money on it, like we all do in film photography, because the stuff ain't cheap. And uh, and yeah. if you're still into it, 
uh, there's passion there, right? And yeah, that's right. The the reward is doing it. It's mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that that's my payment for, uh, um, you know, that's what I get back for the music kind of crap stuff that I do and photography. It's right. just the sheer pleasure of creating doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Hi. Um, yeah. We uh man this has been a great uh a great interview Alex. I I, I, th- I thank you so much for for kind of joining me last minute. We were talking about just putting some of your music on the uh on the solo shows and then it turned into a, a solo show up a solo interview. So Yeah. That's no, great. It's an absolute pleasure. It was you know really lucky opportunity that I just happened to be home and you were still up and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I still have to be up with like uh, I don't know uh, eight beer can empty beer cans in front of me. So, <laughs> I, I got to admit, like I I I I didn't plan on on quite drinking this much beer tonight, but uh, you know I'm a, I'm a team leader at at work now, and uh, uh, working in a factory for uh, I'm on twenty almost like what what is I'm at twenty one years there at twenty one and a half because you don't I, I'm trying to get out as quick as possible, so I don't yeah. I count every month, but uh, counting. But, Every day, yeah, <laughs> right, and and like so for like up until the last couple last month or so, I, you know, I hardly ever talked to people. Like, and now that I'm a team leader, I'm having to talk to people all the time. I got this one guy on my team, and like, I swear, every single issue that comes up, it's an argument. I'm arguing with this guy like every damn night, and I'm like, you know what? I wasn't gonna drink, but like two beers a night, but you are driving me like to drink like eight, like I. <laughs> Like, this guy is driving crazy. Like everything is an argument, and like I'm like, dude, like, I, please just transfer from my from my team. I I need just to get rid of this guy. Like I feel like, you know, uh, I feel like I'm uh, I feel like I'm in a bad marriage with this guy. Like, <laughs> is he is he jealous that he wasn't picked or? No, he actually voted for me, which is the All bad right. thing. Like I, I think because he voted for me, he thinks I like I've got to like. Uh, cater to every single f- uh, thing that he's irritated about. And like, right. I, I just kind of like tomorrow, I, I, honestly at work, I may come up to him and be like, dude, are you just unhappy? Like with life? Because like, I, I can't deal with you like this every day. I cannot do this every day. I like, I cannot argue with you every single day. And we're just trying to yeah. like build parts and get, get the hell out of here. And he was bad tonight because we got off like an hour early. And he shot, he thought it should be an hour and a half early. And I'm like, dude, you're getting off an hour early. Like, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> is that, is that a slogan you've heard over there? Yeah. In the UK? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Just dead. like, but he's arguing me about getting off an hour early. I'm like, I, I, I can't do this. Like, I'm not going to argue with you. Like you should have been, you thought it should have been 90 minutes. Well, you know what? You got off an hour early. You're supposed to be here 10 hours. You got off in nine hours, like take it and like run with it. And right. uh, some people yeah. just love that confrontation i think they they seem to get something out of moaning and being negative in work right. I, I don't get it at all i i've got a, a few kind of colleagues obviously i'm mainly on my own but mm-hmm. there's six of us in south wales all together so we talk on the phone quite a lot and occasionally we'll do a job together if if it takes two of us to take a boiler off a wall or something um but yeah some of the guys they're, they're a nice enough bunch but Christ they can just moan and moan and just be so negative for right. years and years saying the same thing basically and it's like well if you're not happy go and do something else right or, or actually complain effectively there's been this, a few things 
that, that have been a major kind of problem to me with the way that the, the, the company have made little changes in the planning and stuff like that. And I've written twice, I've written a kind of concisely written email. And the, th- the thing that was a major problem to me was immediately changed. I was like, oh, okay, right. uh, somebody's listening. They, right. And that's happened two or three times now where I've kind of proved that something isn't fair and they've gone, okay, and they've sorted out. It didn't really mean, you know, it didn't really matter that much to them. So I just think, well, go, you know, complain in the right way. Don't give me a kind of earache over it, just kind of whinging and moaning. Right. It's just bringing right. me down. Because right, I, I was actually, in a, I was actually in a really good mood tonight at work. I actually went around and like towed every single team member of my team like some really bad dad jokes. I was like, you know, I was just throwing, <laughs> throwing dad jokes out there at them, and like, and like, you know, halfway through the night, this guy starts in on me, and I'm like, I, I can't deal with this anymore. I was in a good mood, and like, you kind of ruined my night, <laughs> like, and like, and yeah, but it is what it is. Well, thank you for this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, I don't know, uh, this uh, psychologist session you just gave me. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you'll have the bell soon. <laughs> all right, Alex. Well, how about you tell the fine folks uh, where to check you out and all that good stuff? Just Grainy Blur, it finds me. So I think on uh, Instagram, on Twitter, Instagram. Okay. Yeah, um, it's yeah. So I'm on Instagram mainly, I suppose, but a little bit more of Twitter these days. Okay, um, I've never been on Twitter, so uh, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit alien to me as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of starting to kind of see um, kind some of, value in it. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just I suppose it's just I'm kind of it, it. The whole thing just looks a bit weird and wordy, and the fact you've got to be so concise it, that was a bit of a battle as well. So it was like, oh Christ, I can't write a short note. I, I haven't got time. It takes too much effort. I can write a long rambly one far quicker than I could write you know in so many characters. Um, so, but yeah, but no, it's cool. It's quite a nice way to view images and things as well. It's, the resolution seems to be better than um, Instagram, although Instagram is kind of a bit more seamless the way it runs. Mm. But yeah, so I'm kind of on both. And my accounts are linked as well. So if you'll find it, whatever. Okay. If you put grainy Blur in Google, it'll, it'll just and take I, you I think, to I think I think Neil Piper will probably like, I don't know. Oh, so. He'll, he'll, probably, he'll, probably throw an, he'll, he'll, he'll throw an expired roll of film at, at the wall if you don't mention that. So, uh, but uh. <laughs> yeah, you can hear me occasionally on certain whitewash with Neil Piper. <laughs> Very yeah. cool. That's just as and when. <laughs> as Neil always says, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, all right. Well, Alex, uh, I'm going to give you the, the chance to say the, the famous uh, famous uh, ending catch phrase, I guess. So, uh, but thank you so much for for joining me. Uh, it's been a great conversation. And uh, hey, uh, uh, I guess Alex, take care. Everybody, stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. <laughs> Man, you nailed it. And I didn't. I didn't even get you. Like I didn't even give you like a warning that was coming. So that, <laughs> I, I feel dirty. I'm disappointed with <laughs> myself. I I always thought I'd, you know, screw it, screw yeah, it get that wrong, deliberately get it really wrong. But... <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, Alex. No, well, uh, thanks for joining us, man. <laughs> no, it's uh, a real pleasure to talk to you. Oh, awesome. Well, cheers, brother. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Take care. <laughs>
folks. We are back for the final segment, and huge thanks to Mr. Alex Purcell, Granny Blur all over the all over the social medias uh, from the Soot and Whitewash podcast for joining me for that that solo show interview. I really really enjoyed talking to Alex, and and uh, to be honest, like the biggest thrill I've had out of doing this podcast all these years and all these episodes is like getting to know people and talking to people. Uh, it's just been, it's just been so fun to, to just, there's so many good people in this community and just to, to get to know them a little better through these uh, conversations. It's just been a huge thrill. So huge, uh, thanks to Alex. I, I really, really, really enjoyed talking to him and, uh, Alex, you're, you're awesome, man. And all right, so let's, uh, let's kind of wrap this show up. And, uh, I think we're going to, First thing I need to do, uh, we haven't had a call-in ca- call review, any sort of call-ins on the show, right? So let's get to a call-in camera review. And this one's going to come from Mr. Malcolm Myers. And he actually sent me uh, three different call-in camera reviews. So you'll be hearing a couple of reviews from Mr. Malcolm Myers, uh, a previous guest on this uh, on this very podcast. And uh, so he's going to be talking about the Canon A1. So let's hear what Malcolm has to say about the Canon A1. The Canon A1 by Malcolm Myers. The Canon A1 was introduced in 1978 as Canon's top-of-the-line A-series camera. Unusually for a camera in the 1970s, it was all black rather than more regular silver and black. Perhaps Canon were just trying to convince customers they were getting a junior version of their all-black professional F1 camera. When I first heard about the Canon A1 as a teenager in the early 1980s, it was priced at £225 in the UK, which was way beyond my ability to afford it. I remember a teacher having one on a school trip and I just drooled over it. However, it was more than 10 years later when I saw one next to a more expensive AE1 program in a cash converter shop. I listened to the shop worker tell me how the AE1 program was the better camera and I nodded in order to look convinced, knowing full well that he was wrong. As I now had money to spend and the camera was a lot less than £225, I bought it. And I really don't understand why, but the A1 program has always seemed to be a bit more expensive than the A1, and still is today, which is odd, as the A1 is clearly the better camera. Anyway, that oddity aside, the only thing wrong with the one I bought was the distinctive shutter cough as you fire the shutter, a squeak that Canon A-series cameras often make with age. In the early days of the internet, I found someone to service the camera, and they got rid of the squeak. I'm sure you can find a YouTube video to fix that little problem if you have it. Certainly, I've had more than 20 years of trouble-free operation from mine since it was fixed. And for many of those years, before my camera collection grew and digital reared its head, the A1 was my go-to camera, so it's not something to be unduly concerned about. The only gotcha I found with the camera was a couple of years ago when I thought the LED display in the viewfinder had died. I did think about retiring the camera, but I just happened to move the switch on the top and to the left of the prism, which happened to be the viewfinder display switch that I had completely forgotten about, and bingo, the LEDs came back. So if you pick one up and it looks broken, flick the switch and see if it comes back to life. A definite case of RTFM. Read the f- manual. Either way, what was groundbreaking about the A1 was that, in addition to manual, aperture priority and shutter priority modes, this was the first camera to have a microprocessor controlled program mode, something we all take for granted nowadays. In another nod to being professional, the A1 allows ISO selection from 6 to 12,800, a much wider range than most 1970s cameras. Personally, I've never heard of anyone shooting film at ISO 12,800, but that's almost tame by modern digital standards. The lower ISO might be of interest to people playing with specialist low ISO films, but if you're one of those adventurous types using ISO 0.8, you might need to do your own exposure calculations. The camera takes the full range of Canon FD lenses and accessories and has shutter speeds from 1 1,000th of a second down to 30 seconds, including bulb. 
It's quite a complex camera, having switches and levers all over, so a read of the manual before you use it would be time well spent. Certainly, I don't intend to give you a breakdown of every single mode, just the ones I tend to use. It's powered by a 6-volt Mallory PX28, or equivalent battery, that sits under an ambitiously named Action Grip, which is a feature of the A-series cameras. It's certainly tiny compared to the extension grips you get on modern cameras. One feature that does stand out is the AT dial, which sits to the right of the prism as you look down. This is the aperture time dial, which is a forerunner to the input dial that pretty much every advanced camera has nowadays. There's even an AT dial guard to prevent you moving it accidentally, although it's firmly detonted, so it's unlikely to move by mistake. So the camera works like this. Firstly, move the switch underneath the film advance lever from L to A to turn the camera on. For the most part, you leave the lens on A as well. For aperture priority, move the AT selector switch, which is to the right of the prism, to AV, and see the black f-stop numbers on a yellow dial appear in the window on top. Set your aperture in half stops and fire away. When you select TV for shutter priority, the dial changes to white numbers on a black background, select your speed in full stops from 1 1,000th of a second to 30 seconds and shoot. If you want program mode, simply turn the TV dial past 1 1,000th to P in a green square and let the camera make all the decisions for you. When you look through the viewfinder and half press the shutter, you get a red LED readout of shutter speed and aperture with one of them blinking if you go out of range. On the side of the lens mount is a depth of field preview lever, exposure preview button, which is the same as half pressing the shutter, and an exposure memory switch. This allows you to meter on your subject, press the buttons, recompose and shoot, so that's good for tricky lighting situations. There's even a multiple exposure switch under the film advance lever, but I'll leave you to read the manual for how to use that. For the manual mode, simply take the lens off A, set the shutter speed with the AT dial and off you go. There's not much else to say. Of all my manual focused film cameras, the A1 feels most like a modern camera in terms of its user interface, which I suppose goes to show how advanced it was in its day. On the whole, the A1 is an extremely capable camera and was pretty groundbreaking in its day. What is more of a surprise is that it's a bit of a sleeper. By that I mean that the poster child of the Canon A series is the AE1 program, which is a less capable camera as it has no aperture priority mode. I have both and I have always preferred the A1, yet A1 prices are generally higher than those for the A1, although with prices rising you'll, you'll have to be lucky to get a bargain on an A1. Either way, if you want to try the Canon FD system and you have the choice between a Canon A1 and a more expensive AE1 program, then go for the A1. It's a, simply a better camera. So all it remains for me to say is stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. Well, thank you, Mr. Malcolm Myers, for your review of the Canon A1. And uh, yeah, i got two more reviews uh, coming up from um, Mr. Malcolm Myers in the, in the future. And i got I got a couple other camera reviews that's come in recently. And uh, I really appreciate it. So, folks, if you want to uh, do a camera review, lens review, film review, developer review, anything in your film photography journey, or just want to tell a story about how you, you F something up, uh, <laughs> you can send those uh, to uh, send me an audio file. Uh, easiest way to do it is on your on your phone, like the voice recording app, voice memo app, or whatever it is. Just talking to your phone. Send me that. Send me that audio file to negpositives at gmail.com and I'll put you in the queue to get on the air. Easiest way to get on the show until I, I, I have a chance to have you on as a guest. So uh, there you go. Uh, thanks, Malcolm. Very, very, very good. Very good information there. So, all right. Um, I think now we got to get to 
uh, coffee donations. And we have one coffee donation uh, since my last solo show. And who else would it be? Mr. Nigel Cliff, a <laughs> uh, longtime supporter of this podcast. And we just love, love you, love you to death, Nigel. You've, uh, you've gone above and beyond, sir. Uh, but he sends us a coffee donation. And uh, he says, uh, always enjoy the roundtable shows. And this was no exception. Speaking of the roundtable uh, last week with uh, Joey Reedy and Jess Hobbs. And uh, I enjoyed that. I had a fairly good time enjoying uh, recording that, that, that particular episode. So uh, thank you so much. Nigel, uh, for that coffee donation. All right, uh, I guess the last thing I need to get to is, uh, you know, we a listener music track. Uh, after I get out all the socials here, uh, you're going to hear another track from Mr. Alex Purcell. The, the, the you know, the very. I mean, I, I, mean, I had him on. This, I had him on as the, as the interview. I have to play some of his music, right? And so I've played a couple of tracks from him in the past, and the, this is the last one. He's, he sent me three tracks, and this is the third of the tracks. Uh, the trio of tracks that he sent me. And this is another one of his like electronic uh, tracks that he uh, did on a, on a uh, basically an iPhone app <laughs> that I think we talked about in the uh, part one of our solo re- recording. Uh, I've done a lot of electronic music on a uh, iPhone app uh, recently myself and uh, Alex also did uh, did that as well. So we're gonna hear a little a little electronic music uh, from Alex made on an iPhone app, much like I do a lot of my electronic music. So, <laughs> but that that song is gonna be called "Untitled 11 uh, from Mr. Alex Purcell, and uh, so you'll hear that as soon as I get these socials out. So. All right, folks, uh, I hope you guys have a great week. And uh, our next show will be just Roxana, uh, Andre, and myself. And we are going to be uh, uh, probably, uh, well, definitely, we will be naming the winners of the Negative Positive Ghost Challenge photo contest that we did on the Facebook group. The NPP Ghost Challenge photos. Going to find some some real big wieners and and get them some cool prizes from uh, from uh, both uh, well, Roxana and Andre are giving some things away, but also uh, some prizes from Mr. Mike Padua from ShootFilmCo.com. So a uh, huge thanks to Mike Padua for providing us with some really cool, uh, very uh, actually uh, prizes that are very uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, definitely in 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 the in the vein of what this contest was about of, of creepy photos so so uh i look forward to that in the next episode and also a kind of a, a big announcement so uh in the next episode so um i look forward to look forward to, to hearing a, a possible thing that's going to be changing on this podcast uh uh, in the future, so uh, yeah, yeah, so just check that out uh, next week with uh, just 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 the host of the show and the and and giving out some prizes to the big wieners of the Ghost Challenge uh, contest. So, uh, all right, um, you can check out. Well, I guess yeah, yeah. Everybody have a great week. <laughs> you can check me out on Instagram at Gutterman Photo on Facebook at Mike Gutterman Photography. You can email this program, and that's also where you'd send your audio for any sort of call-ins at negpositives at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group, the Negative Positives Film Photo Podcast Facebook group. We also have an account under the name Negative, an Instagram account under the name Negative Positives. And um, Mrs. Roxana Angles has been mostly running that. And so if you submit photos to Instagram, think about using the hashtag Negative Positives. Maybe Roxana will see it and highlight it for all of us to check out and admire your beautiful photography. Your beautiful film photography. Uh, you can also support this program on coffee. It is www.ko-fi.com slash negative positives. 
And uh, we also have a merch site. It is negativepositivespodcast.bigcartel.com where you can get you some Negative Positives t-shirts, uh, hats, and a, a, a coffee mug big enough to hold a beer. So, uh, <laughs> which I still need to order my, myself some stuff. I, I think I'm gonna have to order my own stuff for my Christmas present this year. <laughs> Because I, I, don't, I don't even have any of my own swag. So <laughs> that's that's unacceptable. So, uh, all right. And and lastly, again, like I mentioned earlier, if you have any production work you're needing to do and you need some background music, uh, you can definitely find some free uh, background music from yours truly on uh, Bandcamp. It is www.mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. Uh, some just simple background music that, to use in your productions absolutely for free. So uh, there you go. All right, well, uh, folks, uh, have, uh, again, uh, you know, have a, a fantastic week. And we're going to listen to uh, uh, Alex Purcell with uh, another track from him, a little electronic music track called Untitled, Untitled 11. So there you go. All right, folks, everybody stay positive and shoot some cool film photos. Gutter Man Cave Production!